You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball in a new time. Uh, I believe this is our first foray into the nighttime hours. So uh, if you're listening live here on uh, Fantasy Sports Radio Network, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, if you are listening uh, via uh, a download, uh, well, if you want to catch us live, this is where you're going to find us now uh, for the foreseeable future, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 o'clock uh, p.m. Pacific, uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And as we get uh, closer to your drafts and closer opening day, uh, we'll be on even more often. But at least for now, uh, I'll be on for these uh, three nights every week. So uh, anyways, glad to get this uh, kicked off tonight. And um, not a whole lot of news since the last show on Saturday. But actually very shortly after that show, there was a, a trade of some note. Jan Hervas Solarte going from the Padres to the Blue Jays. Uh, so I'll be breaking that one down in a little bit. And other than that, you know, just a, a few minor signings, uh, mostly involving relievers and some minor league deals. But there is, uh, looks like a, the beginnings of some movement in the pitcher market. Uh, there was a report earlier today from Jeff Passan of Yahoo Sports that the Astros have been talking to the Pirates about a deal for Garrett Cole. And just shortly before that, uh, there had been a report from MLB.com that the Astros were looking into adding a high-end starter. So whether or not that extends beyond these talks for Garrett Cole or not remains to be seen. But uh, the the quick big takeaway from a fantasy perspective is that if you were excited about Brad Peacock for the coming year like I was, uh, that's going to put a little bit of a damper on your enthusiasm because I think he would be the big innings loser uh, if the Astros were to get Garrett Cole or, or somebody of his ilk. Uh, but I always talk a little about that a little bit. And also uh, Lance Lynn, Andrew Kashner, who's a regular subject of discussion on this show. He's uh, in, in the news the last few days in terms of some, some rumors, uh, a rumored uh, potential destination for him. Uh, and also uh, Matt Garza, who's also a free agent, he might be on the verge of retirement. He's going to have to undergo shoulder surgery. Uh, if you recall, in the middle of the season, he had that uh, big collision with Asus Aguilar, uh, which he did uh, spend some time on the DL for. It turned out to be a much more serious injury than uh, initially thought. He's going to have to have to have shoulder surgery. Possibly could be career-ending for Matt Garza. Um, so that's uh, one of the bigger stories uh, to come out in the past day or so but uh, a lot more besides that we will break down these moves and these rumors but, but um, also we have jim finch from fan rag sports on the show a little bit later on we've started to put together our initial rankings uh for fan rag sports you can't see them just yet because we're still it's still in progress but jim and i are going to give you a little bit of a preview on that and we're going to take a look at the outfield fantasy landscape and uh, talk about some cheap sources of power as well so a lot to get to here on the show. Going to head to break right now, but uh, we'll be getting to all that right after this break.
Skix sneakers are taking over tailgates and alumni homes across America. Skix canvas high top, low top, slip on, and kids tennis style sneakers designed in officially licensed college colors and logos is a must-have for every college fan's wardrobe. Fun, fashionable, and comfortable. Whether you're at the big game or watching the game at home, Skix helps fans perform better. Go to Skix.com and use promo code FNTSY for 15% off your pair now. That's Skix.com. Skix sneakers, the soul of a true fan. Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host for the show. And let's dig right back into uh, some of the news items that I previewed in the first segment. Uh, the big one is the on Harvest Solarte trade. And at first blush, that probably didn't really seem like a big deal other than the fact that we've just had so few trades and so little player movement just in general that, uh, you know, anything sort of rates as a big deal. But I'm intrigued by this one. Uh, I think one of the bigger factors in terms of Solarte's value is going to be playing time. And maybe he shakes out as the, the starting second baseman. Uh, I, I think one of the initial reactions, and you know, understandably so, was that, well, maybe this means that uh, the Blue Jays are, are getting ready to trade Josh Donaldson. But I've not seen anything to you know, confirm that that's... Uh, that that you know that that's so that that's uh, uh, an out uh, outcropping of this uh, this deal. Uh, I think probably the more likely scenarios are either that uh, he plays regularly at second base or that he's more of a utility type player. Um, so there, there's certainly uh, an open question here as to how much value Solarte will have, and even as an everyday player, he's going to be I think sort of fringy as a 12-team mixed league kind of player. But uh, there is something intriguing about this to me that um, middle of the 2015 season, he became much more of a power threat. Now to look at the overall numbers and especially to look at the overall increase in power over the last few seasons, Solarte's gains have sort of gotten washed out and they don't seem like a big deal if, if time had sort of stood still and we didn't have this big increase in power, but Solarte, you know, had his, uh, you'd say, wow, wow, that's uh, really noteworthy. But those gains of power also got washed out by playing home games at Petco Park. And I, I've spent some time on the show talking about the Padres trying to downplay the park factor thing with Petco because when they moved the fences in a few years back, it did dampen the extremeness of the the park factor there somewhat. But it's still a pitcher's park. I mean, it's not in the same league as certainly as AT&T Park or even Marlins Park and, and, and even after they move the fences uh, in that ballpark. But it's it's still, you know, trends as, as a pitcher's park. And it really shows up in Solarte's splits since he made that transition to being more of a power hitter with the Padres. Since the 1st of July, 2015, up until the last day of the 2017 season. So two and a half seasons worth of data. Um, at home, Solarte had just a 150 ISO, which is, you know, it's, it's better than it was before. I mean, when he first came out on the scene with the Yankees, he really hit for very little power. And, and even during his early time with the Padres, that would be an upgrade. But on the road over the last two and a half seasons, Jan Harris Solarte has had a 204 
isolated power. I mean, that's good. That's really good. And he's moving to Rogers Center, which um, a few years back would be very fair to say was one of the best power-hitting venues in baseball, in Major League Baseball. Uh, being a dome stadium, it's hard to explain how that would change over the years, but it has. It, it, it's been It's been more mild in recent years compared to other parks, and maybe it's the other parks that have changed more so than than Rogers Center. But in any event, he's still got a pretty nice home home venue for power hitting, and then he gets to play some road games at Yankee Stadium and at Camden Yards. And uh, you know, Fenway Park is not a great home run park, but really great for doubles, of course. So he's he's got a nice setup there, better than uh, better than in San Diego, to be sure. So. That really does move Solarte from I think being not at all on the twelve team mixed team rate twelve team mixed league uh radar to uh to being there as as a, a late round option, uh to be sure. Now coming back the other way from Toronto to San Diego, couple of uh minor leaguers, one a legitimate prospect, uh outfielder Edward Olivares, and then uh, they also get a reliever, uh Jared Karkuff in that deal. So uh, it's kind of interesting because the one area where the Padres do have some surplus is in the outfield. So I don't know how soon we'll see Olivares, um, you know, how he, he shakes out with uh, the mix there with, um, you know, of course, uh, Manny Margot already having established himself in Hunter Renfro. Uh, I think you could say the same. Jose Perella was, was pretty surprising offensively last season. You still got Travis Jankowski, uh, Alex Dickerson, and um, Franchi Cordero. So that's two outfields worth of outfielders right there. And you throw Oliveris into that mix at some point. Um, MLB.com just ranks him 24th now among the Padres prospects. Surprised he wasn't a little bit higher. But um, anyhow, becomes part of that uh, Padres outfield mix uh, eventually. And I mentioned a few pitchers that uh, could be making a move soon. The Nationals are interested in Lance Lynn. We haven't really heard a whole lot this offseason about teams uh, being interested in, in signing Lynn, but in his last year with the Cardinals, on the surface, a good season, a, a really a typical season, 3.43 ERA. He's always had sort of an elevated walk rate, but the, the strikeout rate was down. The velocity for Lynn was down a bit last year, and the strikeout rate was not awful, but 19.7%, not great when you consider that the walk rate, uh, you can't rely on that uh, as being too... Uh, too robust and he gave up a lot of homers and that actually that's really been one of the keys for Lynn as a, a fantasy asset in recent years uh, is that partly just uh, credited to him, but also pitching home games at Bush stadium. He could keep the ball in the park. So um, he gave up 1.3 home runs per nine, which is a lot, even with the increase in power last year. So Lynn coming off of, despite the, the good ERA, uh, sort of a down season peripherally. Now, I've talked a lot about Andrew Kashner for the past, um, I'd say, uh, past seven or eight months, probably. Uh, certainly ever since he uh, came on board with the Rangers last year and had, a like, like Lance Lynn, a good ERA, despite not a very good, in fact, an even worse strikeout-to-walk ratio. But in Kashner's case... Uh, he he showed a skill, and it's sort of an obscure one, but he was really excellent at it, and that is limiting hard contact on fly balls. Lance Lynn doesn't have any sort of countervailing thing like that in his stat line. 
from last year, other than a, a very low BABIP that th- doesn't lend itself to an easy explanation and a high strand rate. So Kashner had this low BABIP, but there was something you could tie directly to that, which was that he really limited hard contact on fly balls, didn't give up many extra base hits at all, which is just the opposite of Lance Lynn. So Kashner may be going to Baltimore, and that's going to be a real test of his ability to keep the ball in the park if he does go there. They certainly do need the uh, the the pitchers and the depth uh, for the rotation. Uh, so the, the fit makes sense. And especially, again, if he can limit the hard contact on fly balls, that makes Kashner potentially a really good fit for, for the Orioles and for Camden Yards. So that that's interesting. And as I mentioned before, uh, Astros have been talking to uh, the Pirates about Garrett Cole. And according to this report from Jeff Passan, uh, Derek Fisher has been uh, discussed as a potential part of that deal. I would love to see that because I don't think Derek Fisher has a really great shot at playing time right now as an Astro. And this guy still looks so great uh, in terms of his potential based on the minor league numbers. Just this past season, in 84 games, AAA, 21 homers with 16 stolen bases, a 318 average with uh, decent uh, strikeout rates, really high walk rates. I mean, just looks like the all-around package there, uh, Derek Fisher. Uh, and he could be combined with either uh, Kyle Tucker or Forrest Whitley. That's that'd be quite a haul uh, for uh, for the Pittsburgh Pirates if they uh, make that deal. So uh, we'll certainly keep tabs on that. I mean, eventually the market's going to have to make some movement, right? I mean, it's <laughs> it's no January already. We're uh, I think about five weeks from spring training. So uh, sooner or later, this stuff is going to be more than just rumors. I I think we're all looking forward to that. So um, we're coming up towards the end of the the uh, segment here, and we're going to be heading into break. Uh, when I get uh, Jim Finch on the show, the next uh, segment, we're going to be talking about rankings from different positions, but we're also going to be talking about the outfield. And the last couple of years, I've had a strategy where – I've really tried to go hard after one of the top seven outfielders because there's just such an immense drop-off after that. Well, it's gotten a little bit thicker in the upper tiers uh, for, for the outfield, particularly your first outfielder, but it hasn't really changed that much. And so I'm really looking forward to having Jim on here and talking about how he plans on tackling that position and uh, maybe I can talk a little bit about what I've done in, in some recent mocks. It's it's going to be a tough one to handle. Um, so anyways, we will be looking at that, but we'll also be looking at uh, some of our preliminary rankings at first base. And I'm going to continue the discussion I had on Saturday about the shortstop position, because that's a tricky one, too. And that one's top-heavy and then not much beyond that. So whole lot to get to here with uh, Jim Finch. But first, we've got to head right to this break. So stick around. I'll be right back. Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. 
Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And joining me for the first time in 2018, won't be the last, though, uh, from FanRag Sports, uh, Jim Finch. And uh, also uh, Fantasy Assembly. Don't want to leave that out either. Uh, but, Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Alan. It's great to be back. Finally, finally baseball season, or almost. Uh, yeah, I know from uh, the, the lack of trades and signings, you wouldn't know it, but uh, it is coming up really soon. And, uh, you know, so on that note, we're, we're kind of, you know, uh, you know, taking a, a, a maybe a, a too early of a jump here into it. But uh, I do want to talk a little bit about um, uh, rankings, you know, even though I know we're, we're still, you know, putting the finishing touches on them. But I feel like this is a deja vu moment, Jim, because I could swear we had this conversation probably, you know, close to a year ago comparing rankings. And, you know, first base, I really, really like Matt Olson a lot. I understand, you know, the risk of the the limited playing time and, and all the strikeouts and all that. But when you just put up such, you know, incredible power numbers like that, and it's not like it was for, you know, three weeks. I mean, it was, you know, a couple solid months. Um you know, I, I'm I'm willing to go in, and and one of the things they said uh, just before the break was that the last couple of years I had a strategy that I called seven and seven uh, because I thought it was such a small elite at first base and outfield that I wanted to get one of my top seven first basemen and one of my top seven outfielders. First base has gotten, I think, much much, you know, uh, fuller uh, up and down the rankings and the and the tiers. Outfield really hasn't, um, but. Uh, you know, that said, I mean, I, I still think Olsen, you know, hangs hangs pretty well with uh, the, the others, you know, in, in the upper tiers. And, uh, you know, I like Greg Bird, too, although not to the same degree. Reese Hoskins, of course. And uh, I'll add a fourth one, uh, Yuli Gurriel, who sort of, I think, quietly compared to some of these other players, really came on as a power source over the, the last three or four, four months of the season. And you're not. Based on our preliminary rankings, you're not high on any of those four guys. So before before I go any further into this, I mean, I'm kind of making an assumption. Like I said, I, I feel like we, we talked about this last year, that you're very, very conservative with players who are either young with a really limited track record or those that have sort of surged out of nowhere, which is you know more like the Guriel model. Um, is that accurate for me to say? It's somewhat accurate, but I've had to really adjust the way I think about fantasy players over the past couple of years because 10 years ago, if you had a bad contact rate and a strikeout rate close to 30%, your shelf life was basically limited in the majors, and now it just becomes so widely acceptable that I've had to expand basically on what I look for for players and what I find acceptable. Sometimes with the younger guys, yeah, I have a tendency maybe to not give them their proper due, but other times with someone basically like Matt Olson, I have other contributing factors. I mean, Olson, yeah, he had a great power year. I think he had, what, 23 in the minor and 24 in the majors or vice versa, but regardless, close to 50 home runs. But before that, I mean, where was he on prospect rankings? Where was he as far as power? The guy never had more than 20 home runs, and to me, this just looks more like a case of a guy that had that great year that all of a sudden everyone took notice, and they're ready to hoist him up. I mean, Hoskins, the year 
in 2016, he had this, a similar sort of breakout, and nobody really batted an eye until he actually repeated that in 2017, and then he started to get the credit he deserves. Olsen, he hasn't done it for me. The strikeouts are too high. The contact's bad. The park is bad. The division's bad. And I'm just not buying into him one bit. There are too many, like you said, first base is deep, and there are just too many other options for me to even take a risk on him. Uh, you know, and that's, again, that's a fair point. I think, you know, it's, you do have to take sort of a leap of faith, you know, with him and with, uh, you know, with Hoskins as well. Uh, you know, maybe all of the players that, uh, that I mentioned. Um, but one player that, now here's where I think it gets interesting. One player where we're very much in agreement and we're both very high on this player as is, you know, just about everybody else, I would think is Cody Bellinger. Uh, so is it just simply the the prospect pedigree that sets him apart or something else? Um, we talked about him and Judge last year, and you asked me which one I would prefer, and I actually said Judge because if he actually regressed, he would do what Bellinger was doing, as where if Bellinger regressed because of his numbers, the bottom would fall out. But he didn't. He made adjustments. He hung in there for the entire year. His average actually went up in the second half. Strikeouts went down. Walks went up. And... By doing that, he proved to me that he can take. He's capable of taking the next step. So I'm willing to bump him up as far as value goes over any of the other guys. I mean, someone like Hoskins. Yeah, he came onto the scene great, but he had that September fade, bad team, and I can see some struggles there, which is why I ranked him ten spots lower and why I ranked Bellinger in the top ten. But yeah, I I think he can actually. He could actually finish in the top five, but I am not willing to rank him in the top five until I see him do it again. All right. Well, that's, you know, that's fair enough. I, it, it's going to be a real dilemma, you know, for anybody drafting uh, because, you know, it's not, it's not really a cut and dried thing, at least the, the way that I see it. I, I get your, your points about it uh, in terms of trusting a relatively small sample, uh, particularly in the case of Olsen and Bird. Um having issues with, with the, the contact rates. And yet it was just such a phenomenal level of production that was pretty extended. And yeah, Hoskins did tail off a bit at the end, but um, you know, when you're, you're looking to fill your first baseman and uh, for me, that seven and seven has now at least on the, the first or the first base side turned it, or I'm sorry, actually I, I was going to misspeak. Um, on the outfield side, we'll get to that later. I was going to say on the outfield side, it's gone to ten, but on the first base, it's gone much farther than that. Um, but you're still, you know, you're 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 getting a good first baseman. Maybe you're getting, you know, I don't know, Miguel Cabrera, who I'm going to talk about later on in the show. Um, but you're you're still passing up on on incredible potential there. So it's it's a real dilemma, and I'm not sure at this point there's a clear answer on how to how to solve it. Um, but I, I want to talk about shortstop because that's a very different landscape. Uh, and I, I went into that in a little bit of depth on the last show. That whereas first base, you've just got oodles and oodles of of talent and potential. Uh, shortstop, you've got a few what look to be very solid producers at the top, and maybe two or three that are sort of a tier below. And then it's it's, it's you know sort of like tumbleweeds. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, you know, I think there's a strong incentive to get one of the, the top guys. But I put a poll out on Twitter, 
and it was it was poorly worded, and I I I, I copped to that on the last show. But um, the, the the question was, which of these players would you put at the end of your your first tier? And I put uh, three players there: uh, Francisco Lindor. Um, well, I'm not looking at this. I'm doing this from from memory here, but uh, I had Elvis Andrews in there, who I actually don't think is first tier. And then I had Corey Seager. He was the third. And I was trying to get at like, like who's who's the guy that you absolutely have to get before there's the drop off. So let me pose that question to you. Um, in your first tier, I assume Trey Turner's in the first tier, although maybe I shouldn't because you've got him ranked fourth, I think, right? I have him ranked fourth just because, like I said, I want to see him do it again. But in this case, it's not really a case of me hating on Turner. It's just that I believe Seager, Korea, and Lindor are that are that good to where I don't think you can go wrong in taking any of those or if you took Turner over him. So you can basically flip-flop all four of those. Right. Well, that's why I put the poll out there because I think it's such a difficult question. So. So basically, let me throw out those four at you. So Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, Francisco Lindor, and Trey Turner. And let me throw Elvis Andrus in there, who performed like a first-tier shortstop last year, but I don't think there's anything even close to a consensus that he'll be one in 2018. But which of those five would you put in your first tier? And who, if anybody, would be sort of your your... I don't want to say fallback because that's not really the right word, but you know the 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 guy that you really want to get because you you think there's a pretty big drop off afterwards. Correa, Seager, Lindor, Turner, Andrews. Who's who's the the target if you don't get who, exactly the one you want out of those five? Um, if I don't actually, I have have Bogarts ahead of Andrews just because Andrews. He's. We've seen this before, where he has that one good year and then he falls back to the decent stolen bases, decent average. I don't see him keeping up. I don't believe he belongs in the first tier. He is a fallback option, but I would actually put Bogarts ahead of him, and I might. Mm-hmm. I would probably put Bogarts in that first category myself, just because. Okay. On I read on Fan Rags. I went to his um, went to his page. Not on Fan Rags. Um, Fangraphs, I went to his page, and they had a news section, a news story on there about injured players from last year. And it basically talked about how when he got hit in his hand, everything started to fall apart. The average went down, the power shot down, and they had quotes from him saying that he tried to adjust at the plate, work through the pain, and he just basically Mm -hmm. lost his swing. And prior to last year, we all had Bogarts as a top-five shortstop option and pictured him as one of the elite second, third-round picks. And one bad second half, and everyone's ready to shoot him down the rankings. I think the injury played a lot more into it than people are uh, people are realizing. And I think he could still be that minimum 15-15 threat, and he'd be a great fallback option if you don't get one of the top four. Yeah, and, well, and, and that's a very... Yeah, and that that's my point. I mean, that's or that's your point, but I agree with it. Um, that compared to any of the ones that we mentioned, and maybe even including Andrews, I mean, he is going to be cheap. He's almost certainly going to be there. He's sort of become the the forgotten uh, shortstop in that group. So, you know, that's uh, yeah, that that could be a key player for you in your upcoming drafts. Well, Jim, can you stick around with us uh, for for another uh, segment here? Absolutely, fantastic. Because we got some outfielders to talk about. I uh, don't want to miss it, so, so stick around and we'll be right back.
most fantasy shows are, well, basically lame. Three warriors emerge from the ashes. Jake Seeley with his power to predict the future. I told you so. Joe Pizapia with his sword of truth. You know nothing. And Chris Meany with the ability to apologize. Sorry. They are the award-winning on-target fantasy every day here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern. Just check the link. Welcome back to the Fantasy Sports Radio Stu Stu Studios. Uh, I'm Al Melkier. Host of the show, which, by the way, is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. And with me for another segment from FanRag Sports is Jim Finch. Jim, are you ready to talk about some outfielders? Yeah, sure. It's one of my least favorite positions just because it's so heavy, <laughs> in my opinion. That, I mean, there's so much talent there that it's one of the, it's the one position that I least prepare for when it comes to draft time. I, I prepare for everything else, but when it comes to outfield, I'm usually – I take what's there. I, I, I have no, I have no qualms about taking anything as far as the outfield goes. All right. Well, you, now you got me really intrigued because uh, this just can't be like a random. I guess it could be a random thing, but is uh, why, why is that? Uh, you, know, you said before that first base is fairly deep, and while it is fairly deep, it is somewhat top heavy, and there is a distinguished drop off at some point where it comes to reliable talent. And the same thing holds true at shortstop and second base. To where when I go into the draft, I attack the infield early and hard. To where the first six rounds, usually I have first base, shortstop, second base, and either a corner or a middle infield slot fall. To where I don't even start looking at outfield until round seven. It's it's not a hate for the outfield. It's just it's just my strategy, the way it's worked the past couple of years. It just Mm-hmm. The way the talent has been laid out position by position, I think it's more beneficial to concentrate in the infield. And just once you get that infield filled, you basically can spend the draft going back and forth between starting pitching and outfield or why everyone's struggling picking players that they shouldn't pick at a certain position <laughs> just to fill a position as opposed to, all right, what's out there for outfield? Nobody else is going to be looking because they're looking to fill a catcher or they need a second baseman or middle huh. infielder. I just need two positions, and it's such a comfort to be able to go through those ten rounds with only looking at two positions. You know, I, Did you tweet something to this effect because this just – that description sounds so familiar, and I don't think it was you. I think it was there was somebody else who was talking about their approach to outfield, and and they said something very similar. So uh, yeah, they read my draft my uh, draft plan thing from last year, <laughs> yeah, and now, now everyone's starting to copy, and I have to figure out something new. Yeah, well, uh, that's, you're you're trying to zag when we're all zigging, or, or maybe it's the other way around. But uh, you know, I, I'm part of the I guess crowd that's uh, pursuing outfield early. And, uh, you know, so as I said earlier in the show, um, you know, I had what I call the seven and seven strategy and that that's not really that anymore because first base, I, I think the landscape has totally changed. I think the outfield landscape hasn't changed that much, but I'm counting 10 outfielders now that I'm happy with as my number one outfielder, although two of them are first base eligible, um, and maybe that gives them a little bit of lure to me because there's there's plenty of first base fallbacks. So maybe uh, in the case of Cody Bellinger or Reese Hoskins, I can actually draft them as my first outfielder and and fill first base some, you know, some other way. So including those two, 
I count 10. So let me just go go through the list here. Trout, of course. Stanton Harper, Blackman, Betts, uh, J.D. Martinez, Aaron Judge, and George Springer. And then toss in Bellinger and Hoskins. Those are, are the 10 that I'd be very happy with as, as a first outfielder. Uh, and they're certainly not all equivalent. There's probably at least three different you know tiers within that, with Trout being in the class by himself. But um, yeah, my feeling is if 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 I if I took your approach, I would miss out on on all those guys. So, is, are there particular targets that you think are you know kind of sneaky good that make it okay? And I understand part of your argument is that you're you're building value elsewhere, so you can take the hit. If, tell me if I'm not categorizing that right. That's what I heard you say. Um, but is there is there somebody that can help you sort of defray that hit uh, as your number one outfielder that's not on that list? It's not really a particular name that I'm going for. It's basically throwing darts at a bunch of players that I find undervalued that I think can produce better than what they did. I mean, last year... Corey Dickerson, for an example, he was somebody that mm-hmm. people weren't looking at, and for the first two, three months, he was someone great to have on your team. Yeah, he tailed off, but by that point, Domingo Santana had started to emerge on the waiver wire. There's somebody else I grabbed off of there. And Hoskins, toward the end of the year, when he got the call, someone else I added. There's always some sort of talent out there that can live up to that number two outfield hype to where if you don't have a number one, but if you can get three guys that can put up number two outfield numbers, Mm -hmm. you're actually better off because you have your elite infield already, and all you need your outfield to do is hit better than average. And that's basically what I look for with my plan. I mean, I would love to own guys like Trout and Betts like in, but I'm not going to get a uh, Goldschmidt or a Rizzo or an Altuve on my team if I go for one of these guys. So I would rather go with the value in the outfield. Okay, yeah. Well, that, you know, and you raise a really good point that I'm going to try to emphasize a lot. I think it's it's one of the most important points in terms of approaching a draft, which is that you know, it's not about targeting specific players like you said, it's not a name you're going after. It's about just finding the best value with every single pick, whatever however that plays out. And maybe that does play out that you've got three number 2 outfielders instead of a 1 to 2 and a 3. Um so, you know, that's I think that's that's fantastic advice and and I'll, I'll be trying to reinforce that as often as possible. I, I take um, the same approach with pitching, too. I mean, I, basically, yeah. my team had a team full of Sonny Grays last year. If you look at his numbers, I basically had that along the board from guys that I just plucked mid to late rounds and scraped off waiver wires just because I wasn't concentrating on pitchers. I just looked to make myself a steady staff, three, three and a half ERA, adequate K numbers, decent whip and just go from there. I don't need, instead of drafting like a big starting pitcher and then filling it in with whatever you can get later on, figuring you're safe, you got two or three studs. Well, you need to concentrate on through the whole thing. You can't just draft two or three stud pitchers and say you're done with it. Same thing with outfield. Mm-hmm. You can't draft stud outfielder and go, all right, I got this guy. I can live with whatever comes along. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it, you know, again, if, as long as you're doing that with an eye towards value, you know, that, that could be a really good way to go. Um, I want to take a look at some of these guys that I consider um, number two outfield quality type hitters. Um, 
And some of them may, may wind up being somebody you have to settle for as a number one because you missed out on one of the, the 10 that I, I mentioned. Uh, I'm in the midst of a slow 15-team mock right now. And so contrary to everything I just said, Jim, earlier in the show about wanting to get one of the top 10, uh, sometimes the, the quest for value you know, takes you in a different direction. And I didn't get one of the top 10. I've, I've filled needs uh, elsewhere. Um, I, I'm looking at the roster here. I got Goldschmidt with my first pick. I got Donaldson, uh, Strasburg. And so you know, pretty quickly that, that part of the, the board emptied out. So I got AJ Pollock as my number one outfielder, and I, I like him a lot. But it's just he's not in that first group because of of health risk. Um, but you know, there's just there's if they're not in that group, there's obviously something you know that's not perfect <laughs> about these players. So the the players I see that are kind of both in in early mocks and what I'm seeing in some of the, the projections, uh, AJ Pollock is is kind of in that. Next group with um, Justin Upton, Andrew Benintendi, Marcelo Zuna, Starling Marte, Andrew McCutcheon, Ryan Braun, Byron Buxton. Now, talk about somebody I'm not completely trusting. Uh, and Tommy Pham, who I loved last year and was a tremendous value, but he's you know had a history of health issues, and I worry about him. Uh, is is there anybody out of that group that strikes you as you know good value as a late number one outfield pick? Um, you know, sort of like what you're talking about. You're filling your needs elsewhere. Pollock, Upton, Benintendi, Ozuna, Marte, McCutcheon, Braun, Buxton, Fam. Is there anybody that you would favor out of that group? I like Pollock, and actually that brings up another thing that I would fail to mention before when I look at outfielders. When I do get an outfielder, most of them that you're going to get toward the mid to late rounds, they're going to be more centered on power. So if you can get an outfielder with any kind of speed, that's just that's just a bonus to me, and he has that 15 to 20 speed, or 15 to 20 uh, potential for stolen bases. To where, right there, if you got him, you have Goldschmidt. If you have a couple more infielders that can steal 15 to 20 bases, you basically negate the need to draft that one category stolen base guy that a lot of people will look for near the end of the draft to try and make up for stolen bases because they concentrated on power. Mm-hmm. I go for the Goldschmiths and the Lindors and stuff for the infield. That way I have a mix of power and speed already on my team. So I don't need to do to go after stolen bases. I take the same approach with the outfield. Even if he can only steal 10 bases, if I got four guys that steal 10 bases and everyone on the infield can steal between 10 and 20, I can compete in any Roto League for stolen bases and head-to-head. I'm going to come out in the middle of the pack for Roto, so I'm not exactly punting the category, but I'm mm-hmm. not chasing it either, and I still shore up every other position. So any play, any outfielder with that can steal 10 or more stolen bases and hit for power is someone I consider the value guys. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to throw, throw you one more outfielder to, to think about as we uh, – uh, are heading uh, at warp speed towards our next break here. Uh, Ronald Acuna, I mean, he's the obviously the key prospect, uh, maybe in all the drafts, certainly at the outfield position. What do you see him as? Do you see him as a third outfielder, uh, better, worse? Uh, where where would you look to target Ronald Acuna? Is he actually slated to start the year in the major? Uh, I mean, it's not not. Uh, it's unclear. He could, I think. I think he'd be up pretty early, regardless. 
it's so tough when it comes to rookies because you just don't know, but he has such a high pedigree. If he's not going to start the year, I would probably draft him, try and get him as a later round pick. But if he's maybe slated to start the year in the majors, I might take a shot at him as my third outfielder just for the upside and potential. Yeah, Somewhere in the mid-rounds. Agree with that assessment. Well, Jim, thank you so much for taking the time to join us for two segments. And uh, looking forward to talking to you uh, often this season. Yep, I look forward to it too, Al. Thanks for having me again. All right, my pleasure. Have a great night, Jim. You Attention, please. Stan Rod, Fantasy Baseball. I don't think Derek Fisher has a really great shot at playing tonight right now as an Astro. And this guy still looks so great uh, in terms of his potential. I mean, just looks like the all-around package there for uh, Derek Fisher. And he could be combined with either Kyle Tucker or Forrest Whitley. That'd be quite a haul for the Pittsburgh Pirates if they uh, make that deal. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 10 p.m. Eastern and 7 p.m. Pacific. Only on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Welcome back, everybody. This is Fan Rack Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, the host of this show. And earlier on, I promised you we'd talk about some potentially cheap power sources. The cheapness is potential. The power is potential. But um, what I did was I uh, I did a little bit of a, a sort. Uh, went on to uh, Baseball Savant, uh, where they've got uh, the, the StatCast data, and you know you can mix and match it all sorts of ways. Well, they've got hit balls categorized. Uh, I think it's five different categories. And the for the, the top three, the average production uh, is, is, you know, quite above uh, the, the, the bottom two. So there's a real, you know, difference between people who are hitting balls that are, are you know, categorized as barrels or solid contact or, or the third category, which is flares and burners. And so I, I wanted to see what was the percentage of hit balls in those three categories for players last year. And some of the results I found were pretty surprising. So I just wanted to comb through a few, few of the names with you uh, just to tuck away. Now the, the top person on the list is Alex Avila, which actually wasn't really shocking because he really did have a, a, a great year, particularly early on. And it's not even close. 56.5% uh, of his hit balls last season were in those three categories. But the second player it's Chris Davis. Now, the problem here is that we're just looking at hit balls. We're looking at where contact was made. So Chris Davis always strikes out a lot, and he struck out particularly a lot last season, a big surge in his strikeout rate up above 37%. But if he can bring that down a little bit this year, uh, you know, again, with first base being so much uh, heavier uh, than it is, it's been in the past in terms of talent in the, the upper tiers. I understand that Chris Davis is really should not be more than a late round flyer, but not a bad option as a late round flyer. And Miguel Cabrera, I've talked about some concerns I've had about him, particularly in terms of his uh, declining production against righties, but he was third on the list at 48.3%. So there's been you know lots of, of uh, analysis of his season and most of it pointing in the direction of him having a, a big rebound. There's another sign. Uh, that Cabrera could have a really big bounce back season. 48.3% of all of his hit balls were in the top three categories in terms of the, the likely, likely result. Um, and then going just down a little further on the list, down to uh, ninth, Carlos Gomez. And again, somebody who strikes out too much gets 
hurt often, misses time. But if he could be healthy, I mean, that rebound that he had late in 2016 when he came over to the Rangers from the Astros, he he carried a lot of that over through 2017. So if Gomez can, you know, find a, a home and, and some regular playing time and stay healthy, uh, it wouldn't be uh, unthinkable for him to have a big bounce back season. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, a few names that to me are are really, really interesting for next year. Uh, you know, should uh, now Cabrera is not going to be cheap, but he could be great value relative to where he's going. Uh, and uh, I'm just going to talk about one last player before we, we shut this down for the night. And uh, that's Jonathan Scope. Now, he's not going to go cheap. He's not going to surprise anybody. But I've, I've talked about not really trusting what he did last season. But he increased his contact across those three categories, those three good hitting categories, by almost 6%. So I think I maybe was a little premature in writing off the gains by Jonathan Scope. Um, so I've heard a league with people who are who are doubt who are doubters, uh, like I was doubting Jonathan Scope. Maybe you you can manage some some good uh, value there with him. Anyway, I'm sure I'll be talking more about this list in the the days and weeks to come because there's a lot of really interesting names on it. But anyways, I had to close it down for the night. I will be back on Wednesday with another one of my fan rag fan rag colleagues. That'll be uh, Greg Jewett joining me on Wednesday. So have a great night. Uh, enjoy the uh, college football uh, championship. And uh, I will see you on Wednesday. Have a good one, everybody.